May mercy and grace and peace be yours from God our Father and from his Son, his promised Son, Jesus the Christ. It may not be his best song, but I guess that it's Willie Nelson's best known song. What is it? On the Road Again. On the road again, going places that I've never been, seeing things that I may never see again. I can't wait to get on the road again. It's Advent. We're on the road again. We're going places. We're going to a manger in Bethlehem, even though we've been there before, and we've seen the Christ child in the Word. But the Old Testament readings are going to be our theme for the four Advent Sundays of our journey. And they may take us places that we have never been. May the Holy Spirit give us attentive ears and expectant hearts that we might ponder this morning the places of Advent. This first one is on a mountain. People God dearly loves. Isaiah is God's prophet some 700 years before the birth of Christ. Isaiah is God's prophet to rebellious Judah and unfaithful Jerusalem. Isaiah's message is judgment and it is grace. Isaiah's message is condemnation and it is mercy. Isaiah's message is disobedience and it is comfort. Isaiah's message is brokenness and it is hope. Isaiah's message is the law and Isaiah's message is the gospel. Here's the word of God Isaiah delivers in chapter 1. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. That's verse 4, but there's more. How the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. That's verse 21 and a part of verse 23. Yes, Isaiah speaks out God's law, but he also speaks out God's good news. Listen again to these words that you heard from the lectern about 12 minutes ago. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his path. Mountains are all over the scriptures. God created them in the beginning, though the great flood greatly altered their terrain. They are a key place for many of God's actions in the salvation story. And I'm guessing that there are some of you who are already recalling certain events and naming certain people that have to do with mountains. The ark lands on Mount Ararat after the cleansing deluge. 
Abraham walks with his young son Isaac up a mountain called Moriah. Moses is met by God in a flaming bush on Mount Sinai. The Israelites gather at that same mountain where God delivers his covenant word. Moses views the promised land from Mount Nebo where he dies. Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal on the Carmel Ridge of mountains. Then Elijah flees to a mountain called Horeb, that's the other name for Sinai, hides in a cave, and God is present for him with a still, small voice. I don't think we should be surprised when Isaiah announces God's redeeming work by saying, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And many people shall flow there, saying, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, that he may teach us his ways. Here's another reason we shouldn't be surprised. Mountain is a key theme in the book of Isaiah. Yesterday morning, I counted 42 times that the prophet speaks about a mountain or about mountains. Here are four of those 42. We sang Isaiah 64, verse 1 earlier, and we'll sing it for three more Advent Sundays. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. But that word of God continues that the mountains might quake at your presence. In the final chapter of Isaiah, chapter 66, very near the end of that chapter, verse 20 declares, And they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord. That closing proclamation echoes Isaiah 25, verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, which also echoes this promise of redemption and restoration in chapter 11. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Advent is a penitential season, a season to reflect on our sins. And I admit it doesn't feel the same as Lent, which moves us toward our Lord's passion and death and resurrection. But we are just like the people of Judah 700 years before our Lord's first advent. We must confess our sins. Greed, lust, envy, anger, pride, idolatry, and impenitence, which covers all of that. Because we say, or we think we could say to God, I'm not so bad. There are plenty of sinners who really deserve to be punished. I'll try harder. I'll do better. I'll prove that I'm worthy of a place in God's family and deserve lots of presents under the tree. Our mountains need to be crushed and demolished. Our mountains need to be brought low and leveled. God speaks that word of judgment a bit later in chapter 2 of Isaiah. The Lord of hosts will have his day and his way against all the lofty mountains and against all the uplifted hills. 
Advent calls us to watch. But what do we watch for? And as we're watching, where does Advent take us? What will God be doing? He takes us to a manger, of course, to his way in the manger, to a virgin mother, to a carpenter who is the labor coach, to a newborn's cry as a baby boy breathes Bethlehem air for the first time, to a promise kept, to the word made flesh, to God with us, to the good news that brings great joy to all the people. And Advent takes us to mountains, to numerous mountains. Yes, there were those important mountains in the Old Testament, and there are mountainous and mountainous events in the life and ministry of Jesus. Our Lord is tempted by Satan on a very high mountain. Jesus declares the reality of a new kingdom in his sermon on the mount. On multiple occasions, Jesus goes up a mountain to be alone to pray to his father. Jesus is transfigured on a high mountain. After his resurrection, Jesus meets the 11 disciples on a mountain in Galilee. And Jesus ascends to heaven from the mount called Olivet. But one mountain stands above them all. It's not Denali the tallest peak in North America. It's not Aconcagua in South America. It's not Kilimanjaro in Africa. It's not Everest in Asia. It's Golgotha. It's the mountain of crucifixion. It's the ultimate mountain of the Lord. For Jesus goes up. He must go up to Jerusalem to Mount Zion This is why hosannas surround this unlikely king, for that word shouted means save us now. I said earlier that Isaiah's message is judgment and condemnation and brokenness, but Isaiah's message is also grace and mercy, comfort and hope. The cross is salvation for all the sinful nations, for all the people laden with iniquity, for all who deal corruptly, which means the cross is for us. It is the mountain on which Jesus teaches us his way, the way of suffering, the way of sacrifice. It is the mountain by which Jesus teaches us the way of forgiveness, his forgiveness, his complete and perfect Forgiveness, And because of this high and great mountain of our Lord's righteousness, we rejoice that we are being led to a final and eternal mountain. There we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There we will be guests at the feast that will never end. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.